Our reading this evening is from Amos chapter 9, starting at verse 1, and it's found on page 923 of the Pew Bibles. And the passage is entitled, Israel to be destroyed. I saw the Lord standing by the altar, and he said, Strike the tops of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of all the people. Those who are left I will kill with the sword. Not one will get away. None will escape. Though they dig down to the depths of the grave, from there my hand will take them. Though they climb up to the heavens, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, there I will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from me at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them. Though they are driven into exile by their enemies, there I will command the sword to slay them. I will fix my eyes upon them, for evil and not for good. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who live in it mourn. The whole land rises like the Nile, then sinks like the river of Egypt. He who builds his lofty palace in the heavens, and sets its foundation on the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea, and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. Are not you Israelites the same to me as the Cushites, declares the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt, the Philistines from Kaftor, and the Arameans from Kir? Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth, yet I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For I will give the command, and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations, as grain is shaken in a sieve, and not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All those who say, disaster will not overtake or meet us. In that day I will restore David's fallen tent, I will repair its broken pieces, restore its ruins, and build it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. I will bring back my exiled people Israel, They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Thanks to Mark and the group for leading us so far. Can I encourage you to take your Bibles back out to make use of the Pew Bibles in front of you. We're going to be going through a bit of the New Testament this evening to help us think about Amos and just work out exactly what's going on in this final chapter. So do have your Bibles opened up in front of you. And with your Bibles open in front of you, I'm going to pray and then we're going to study God's Word together. Father God, may you search us and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way within us and lead us in the way everlasting. Amen. 
We all have those television programs that we become invested in. We watch them week after week, and as we do so, we understand more and more about why things happen, the way things happen. We understand more and more about the central characters, more and more about what's going on, and then they come to the end, as one of my favorite programs ended this week. But hopefully, as we have been working our way through the book of Amos over this past few weeks, we have learned something about a book that we often skip over. We've learned about God's people. We've learned about our own hearts. We've learned about ourselves. And we've learned about God. And there's still much more to learn this evening. Tonight, we come to the final chapter of Amos. It contains the prophet's final word of judgment concerning Israel. It begins with his final vision, and it gives great detail about Israel's final hours as a nation. Unlike the previous visions that Damien helped us think about last week, this vision is not a discussion between God and Amos, but it's a declaration of God's judgment and how he is going to execute it on his people. This chapter like the whole book of Amos, is about God. What he will do, what he will say, what he is like. This chapter is all about God. This book is all about God. Amos is writing to tell us about God. And so this book speaks to us because the God Amos describes is our God. And I want us to think about two things. You're going to know where we're going with this because as, as Mark said earlier, there's a very clear division in this chapter. Firstly, from verses 1 to 10, that God is a God who judges. And then from verses 11 to 15, God is a God who saves. God is a God of judgment and God is a God of salvation. So firstly then, God is a God of judgment. Let's just go back. You've maybe only joined us for the first time this evening. We want to put this book in context. When Solomon died and Israel and Judah split into two monarchies, Jeroboam I established his cult in Israel as a replacement for worship at the temple in Jerusalem. He inaugurated the cult by going to Bethel to offer sacrifices himself at the altar. In the midst of the ceremony, God sent an unnamed prophet from Judah to rebuke Jeroboam and declare the Lord would raise a descendant of David who would one day come and destroy all of the high places of Samaria and Israel. The descendant of David would be Josiah, 1 Kings 12. From the time of the prophecy to the time of its fulfillment was about 300 years. Now, about 150 years after the time Jeroboam established his cult, the Lord sent another prophet from Judah to go to an altar in Israel to announce the Lord's judgment on Israel again because of her spiritual apostasy. The people hadn't repented of their sins. The Lord hadn't forgot his promise about judgment. And so here we have Amos. He's coming with a job. This shepherd has been sent. He's been given this responsibility by God to come and to warn the people about God's judgment. That's why he names the sins that he does. We've been looking at them as we've worked through these chapters week after week. 
We've all been challenged at some point about the state of our hearts, about the way we worship God, about the things that we want to take hold of, about the hold that sometimes we think that we have on God. And we've been given a fresh glimpse of God, of who He is, His holiness, His judgment. And for many of us, we've wanted to do something in response. Judgment has been the theme that has dominated the book. And yet, even as we come to this last chapter, Amos still has more to say. Amos is in the temple and we have God himself. And God is standing in judgment. I saw the Lord standing by the altar, Amos says. Strike the tops of the pillar so that the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of all the people. God says the congregation is going to be killed. The building to fall in round them, when this comes to pass, no one is going to escape. Those who are left, well, what will happen to them? Those who are left, I will kill with the sword. Not one will get away. None will escape. Though they dig down to the depths below, from there my hand will take them. They can climb up to the heavens above, from there I'll bring them down. Though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, highest mountain he would have known about, lots of caves, there I'll hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from my eyes at the bottom of the sea, I'll command the serpent to bite them. Though they're driven into exile by their enemies there I will command the sword to slay them. I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. Judgment is coming. And it's almost at this point as if Amos has to stop. He just has to try and take in what's being said. And then we go on the Lord, the Lord Almighty, he touches the earth and it melts, and all who live in it mourn. The whole land rises like the Nile, then sinks like the river of Egypt. He builds his lofty palace in the heaven and sets its foundation on the earth. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. Here we have this judgment, this judgment that is going to befall Israel and then we have this great reminder that this threat of judgment is not an empty one. God can deliver judgment because He is the Creator God. God here is declaring a war against His people. And we're being told you cannot hide from God because God made the hiding places. Do you really think that God's bark is worse than His bite? Do you really think that God is not going to follow through on what He says? Do you really think that God's only going to do the things that we like and those things that seem harsh, those things that are judgment? Well, He's not going to do them because this isn't God. Well, here we're being told that God can, God will, and there is judgment coming. And then look at these verses from verse 7 onwards. Are not ye Israelites the same to me as the Cushites, declares the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt, the Philistines from Kephar, and the Arameans from Kerr? 
Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I'll destroy it from the face of the earth. God here in these verses speaks to his people, speaks to Israel and says, we had a special relationship. He acknowledges this special relationship between him and his people, and yet in the same breath, he crushes it. You're just like the Cushites. I brought the Philistines up from Caithor. These people prided themselves that they were God's people. And so for a people who prided themselves, God here is giving them a sober reminder. Everyone is subject to God. Look at what he says. The eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. God's people have been sinning. They have been rebelling. They have been going away from him for years. And when he finds a sinful kingdom, what will he do? I will destroy it from the face of the earth. And surely for some of the people, as they heard these words from God, they thought, what about the Exodus? What about what God did there? What about what God did for his people? God says, I've been moving people about the world for ages. No point going back to this date in history and saying that because of this, because I was born part of a certain group, I'm going to be all right with God. The whole of the Old Testament reminds us that Exodus was important, but what saved the people was how they responded to the God of the Exodus, how they submitted and how they obeyed Him. Privilege did not immunize His people from judgment. The eyes of God are on the sinful kingdom, and He will destroy it. We were reminded this morning, weren't we, that we can be coming to this place week after week, year after year. We can think we're good Presbyterians. We can think we have the right look, the right words that we speak. We do the right things. But look what's being said here. It's not about past history. It's not about the people group your history comes from. It's about how you relate to God. Have you submitted and obeyed Him? Turn with me to the New Testament. I said we're going to do this a few times tonight, to the book of Romans and Romans chapter 6. Because here in these verses, we're being told what it means to actually have a changed life, what it should look like. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too 
may live a new life. There should be change. What's the evidence of the new birth? Newness of life. What's the evidence of a relationship with God in the day of Amos? Not some blessing back in history, but a proper obedience to Him. A changed life, living a life which honors God. Our past will not defend us. God's people here wanted to feel that they could put God under some obligation. Because of their past, because of who they were, they wanted God to be nice to them. They felt that God owed them, that God should do this for them because of who they were. Well, God here makes it clear that's about a changed life. It's about living a life for Him. And when we don't live a life for Him, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming, and yet we see this sudden change of mood. There's a ray of hope. Yet I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. For I will give the command and I'll shake the people of Israel among all the nations. As grain is shaken in a sieve and not a pebble will reach the ground. Everything's going to be scooped up, but the good soil is going to get through the sieve. But this image, if we think back to the plumb line too, and now this sieve, it shows that this is not indiscriminate judgment. It's not fire, it's not locust. God has put out his plumb line. He's now shaking his sieve. He is a God of judgment, and his judgment is fair, and his judgment is right. Judgment is coming. But what does this all mean for us? Well, I want you to turn now to the New Testament, again to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We thought about this earlier in the year. We see here the apostle speaking about Old Testament history and could have just as easily been speaking about Amos. 1 Corinthians 10 and from the start of the chapter. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Don't be idolaters. As some of them were, as it is written, these people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We shouldn't test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, and whom the culmination of the ages has come. 
So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Paul writing to the Corinthian church, a proud church, it thought it was the best of the best. And the Old Testament history provides a warning that if we think we are standing, take care unless we fall. Amos, as we know, is writing to proud people, people who think that evil could never overtake them. And he writes to them to reveal to them the God of judgment, be warned. I don't know if you came here tonight as a follower of God, or maybe you're not yet a follower of God, but this is God. God is a God of judgment. God will judge, and in the light of that knowledge, what are we to do? We are be, to be careful that if we think we're standing, that we don't fall. We're to be careful that we think that evil cannot overcome us. And we're to repent. We're to turn back and come to God. We're to come to God and say we want to live a life which is pleasing to Him. We want to live a life that is honoring to Him. We don't want it to be about us. We don't want it to be about our selfishness. We want to come and honor God. God is a God of judgment. That judgment is real. This is not a scare story. Scaring you into being a good Christian. This judgment from God is real. But so too then is our second point, that God is a God of salvation. It takes us from verse 11 to the end of the book. And here's the good news. There's nothing but good news from now to the end. And for many commentators, they find these verses so shocking. They find these, they look at these verses and they've said, well, they can't go. These verses don't fit in with anything else that we've read. Look at all the chapters that we've had of judgment. And now suddenly we have these verses. People feel they don't fit in with anything that has gone before. But remember what Amos is doing. He's writing to reveal God to us. We can understand why there has not been much of these verses so far in the book apart from a few hints, a few pointers directing us to the hope that is to come. See, no doubt Amos was worried that the very people he was writing to would seize onto these verses as false hope. No doubt he was worried that they would look at these verses and say, well, none of the rest of this applies to me. And so that is why we have this book of judgment we have this book that is calling God's people who have sinned, who have fallen away from Him for generation after generation, and the judgment is coming, and we know the judgment does come. But if Amos was only speaking to them and about them, he would have stopped at verse 10. But Amos's concern is God. And so we can't stop at verse 10. 
Amos has told us about the fact that God is a God of judgment, but he has to tell us about the fact that God is a God of salvation, because God is a God of salvation. See, sometimes we really struggle with books like Amos, because we struggle with the fact that God is a God of judgment. So much of this book tells us about God and the fact that He will judge. And we don't want to hear this. We don't want to hear about a God who judges. And so for many of us, these past few, Sunday, these past few weeks and Sunday evenings have been difficult. And we all know those people who only want to talk about the fact that God is a God who judges. They only want to talk about God being someone who is harsh. But if up to verse 10 is all there is to be said, then we are in trouble. But God is a God who saves. God is a God who loved us so much that He sent His Son into this world. And so, Amos cannot leave a record of God and omit this. We need to know that God is both a God who judges and that God is a God who saves. And so, we're told, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I'll repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and rebuild it as it used to be. God promises that the house of David, the throne would belong, and to David's descendants there would be an everlasting kingdom. Look at this kingdom now. The northern part is about to be extinguished, and it wouldn't be long before the southern part would go the same way. But God promises that He will raise it up one day, and He does a return to the glory days, a return to when Israel was at its biggest, largest, most secure. I'll restore David's fallen shelter. I'll repair its broken walls, restore its ruins, and rebuild it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. They'll possess all the nations that bear my name, what is being said here? Well, for the final time tonight, turn to the New Testament and to Acts 15. Because here we find the book of Amos being quoted. Acts 15 is all is a discussion about whether non-Jews, you and I, could possibly ever be Christians, could possibly ever be saved by believing on the grace of the Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul tells of his journeys. Peter gets up, and then we have from verse 13, Acts 15, verse 13. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people from his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement for this as it is written. After this, I'll return and rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, the things known from long ago. Told here, this is not a military expansion that it's being talked about with God's people. 
It was a kingdom expansion right across the nations to people like you and me. And the fact that God is a God of salvation is just as certain as the fact that God is a God of judgment. This vision includes us. I will raise up, I will rebuild, I will restore, I will plant. The same God that will and does and has brought judgment will bring salvation and will bring the paradise that's described here. God will bring salvation through Christ. God is the one who will restore us. But think about the description that we're given, all of these material things. Why all this talk about wine and houses and cities? It was people who were building a material world, looking to get material satisfaction, looking for things to please themselves. And what was the result? This is the people that Amos has been writing to. This is the people that this book is speaking to. And we know what has happened. Look back, Amos chapter 5. Verse 11, you levy a straw tax on the poor, you impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you'll not live in them. Though you've plundered lush vineyards, you'll not drink their wine. Here was a people who were focused on themselves and themselves alone. Here was a people who were trying to get every material gain that they could. They thought they deserved it. They thought it was their right. And in it all, they were disregarding God. When God is in the right place, when the new heaven and the new earth come, there'll be a day of blessing of the new creation that is to come, when we worship God in purity and truth forever. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted. This is permanent. This is restoration. This is with God. This is salvation. Because God is a God of salvation. When we are under God's judgment, we need to turn to God. It's the gospel. If God cannot rescue me from my sins without judging them in his one and only Son, how are we to escape? But we have saw, we have looked at Amos. We have seen nine chapters of people who thought they didn't need God. We have salvation because we have Christ. There was no way for Jesus to rescue us except through the cross and its condemnation. And when we turn to the cross, we see God's judgment. And when we turn to the cross, we see God's salvation. Judgment is real. Salvation is real. 
Amos speaks to us about God. The God who judges and he says, repent. He speaks to us about the God of salvation and he says, repent. All the way through this book, we have had the message driven home time and time and time again. Turn to God. Trust in him. His judgment is coming. Seek salvation that is found only, only in him. But maybe it's only tonight. Maybe as you have walked through this book week after week. Maybe it's only now as we know God so much better. That you hear him speaking to you. That you hear him challenging you about the sinfulness in your heart. That you hear him speaking to you about the fact that you have drifted from him. You hear him speaking to the you about the fact that you're in this place, you're maybe standing at the front week after week, and yet you live a life in which you think you don't need God, in which you think that He owes you. Amos has been a difficult book for each one of us. We've had to confront truths about ourselves, We've been reminded that God is a God who judges. We've been shown that God is a God of salvation. Amos wrote this book to show us more about God, to show us more about ourselves so that we would respond to the God who judges and the God who saves. Let's pray. Father God, we come now knowing that you are the God who judges, but also the God who saves. Father, make this very real to each one of us, we pray. And Father, we do ask, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father God, would you be gracious to do that for each one of us, we pray. Amen. And now to him who's able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.